Should we get started? Let's get started, man. So, what's up? Hi, man. It's not that we haven't talked for half an hour already, but... No, definitely not. Definitely not. How have it's... you been? Been been good. Been good. Just uh, been working. Um, still uh, just finalizing some things at work. So, that was really nice, actually. Yesterday, we... we, we so, the... Um, the company I work for is a, uh, uh, they, they, they do kind of the same thing, like events, you know, like Ticketmaster and Eventbrite and stuff. So they had an application, uh, mobile application, well, not mobile, but, you know, um, iOS and Android. And they had separate apps for them. But, I mean, I, I do want to clarify because then, you know, if, if I start saying we changed to React Native, they're like, why? If you already had an iOS app and an Android app, like, why do it from scratch? So here's the thing. It wasn't an Android app. It's not like a Java project. They had a, they had a Swift project, right, um, yeah. for, the, uh, for iOS. And, they had a, and for Android, it was pretty much useless because it was a Xamarin. Uh, oh, yeah, the uh, C-sharp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it wasn't like that because I think that if it was like Java and Swift, then you might as well just stick with it, right? Because it's native. Like yeah. I switch if you already put the effort where switch, but it was not because of that. It was so we uh, we had to rewrite the whole project from scratch uh, in React Native, and so now it works perfect in both devices, both tablets and phones. Oh, nice. Went through just shaping up, polishing up the bugs that are just inevitable. And we have been battling through those and all the little things because it is a insanely complicated app. But we finally got it. Uh, yesterday we we did the la- like not the last but ah uh, yeah the last beta uh, release uh, to test to finally start testing for every everyone in support everyone uh, that works on that within the company can start testing it nice uh, yeah it sounds pretty good so so that that felt pretty good so i i that is like a weight lifted off my shoulders to be honest in a way because i was putting in a little like overtime yeah just to get things done and all that but besides that it's been good i even fit in a little time to uh keep experimenting with elixir as well in there are you still going through kind of a course or what's your approach? Yeah, definitely. So I just want to say uh, for anyone who is interested, there is a course called Elixir for Programmers. You know? Yeah. And it is on, I think it's codestool.coding-genome or gnome that come but it's elixir for programmers and it is just one of if not the greatest programming course i've ever taken the guy is all about patterns cleanliness and uh he explains concepts in just great ways tries to or like he even is very neat freak with folder structures and the mm. way that the files are set up and even the way even the way you uh write your functions even so it's it's been an um it's just been an amazing learning experience uh hearing that guy talk and and learning from him it's it's awesome like for example he 
he finds a way of leveraging the pattern matching in Elixir. Yeah. So anytime... so it, Oh, and the best thing is he does things in a way that you would do them. Uh, mm. like, like that any programmer would normally... Like think of do them like if you have yeah. uh, if you have a conditional right or whatever that you're trying to check against some type of um, some type of value you're trying to, to to determine what to do with it depending on the value right yeah then you would go ahead and and he'll put like if this you know then we do something like here else like this other thing and then he's like no but here's the thing why elixir is great and you can leverage and even anytime that something like this is going on in elixir you should try to see if there's another way instead of having that block. Yeah. So he leverages and he shows you with pattern matching how you can do essentially the same exact thing mm, as nice, you would do yeah. with an if statement, but you can do it with pattern matching and functions. And in essentially, you would have smaller functions all throughout your whole app, which just is just the a dream. party all the time. Yeah, exactly. So he explains it that way. And he goes on it for a long time, too. So, for example, on a one of the tests, that he, he, he starts, he's starting with tests now unit test mm, mm-hmm. and um he does uh so it's he does a hangman game yeah so so to guess a word right and to test that you won there's a function called make move which essentially is just you pass in a guess of a letter. yeah so to actually the to actually test that you win what he first does is he copy pastes the method for the whole word so if your word is test yeah, he copy paste make move four times and does T E S T right. Yeah, and then to show that you won, but then he tries to shows you shows you uh, the way that you do it um, in a more clean way with um, like some loop and stuff like that, but something that's very unique to Elixir. So he refactors. So he first does it like that, and you're like, okay, that's kind of ugly, but all right, well, I'll just roll with it. And then he goes back and it's like, see, this is why this is wrong, and and nice, we're gonna yeah. refactor it this way. So that's really great. The course has been amazing. So that's what I've been going through. I've been going through that course, and it's it's great. I, I'm stuck at fourteen percent of that course, and I can tell you why I know. Because for weeks I've been getting the Sunday reminder that I'm at fourteen percent and I have not completed the course yet. Does it send you reminders? <laughs> yeah. For real? Yeah, I think if you don't log in like long enough or so, I don't. I'm not sure when, but yeah, I, get I actually, weekly. I forgot that you actually got the course as well. I yeah. <laughs> I sold it pretty well. Yeah, but, uh, it is where, a good where are, It is right. Where are you in it? Um, uh, dude, right? I haven't looked in. Oh, you, you year, like started so. it. Oh, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And it's it's a little bit of a shame. Like I would like to finish it, but then yeah, I also started um, looking into Rust, and for whatever reason, that has just sparked so much more exciting uh, excitement in me than Elixir. No, by far go with what excites you, definitely. That I just um, yeah went full on in the other direction. But yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Still would like to finish it. It is an interesting language. It is. Yeah. But it sounds like a pretty good week. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, What have you been up to? Um, fixed a lot of bugs at work, which is always nice. Yeah. And other than that, have not done much this week, um, to be honest. It's felt like I'm a little bit kind of, I felt a little bit tired the whole week essentially and i'm not sure if it's just the season with less sunlight and more 
sick mm. people around that I also start to feel a little bit under the weather or whether or not I'm just not sleeping well enough during the week. So then I'm uh, just more exhausted as, as usual. And the last few weekends have been pretty intense with buying a car and visiting different, um, yeah, seeing different friends, visiting different um, parties. Essentially, last weekend, there was an office warming party on Friday and a housewarming party on Saturday. And it was all super nice and really nice to connect to, uh, yeah, the friends and people that we know here. But it's uh, also meant that the weekends were also super busy and hectic. And I've been really yeah. looking forward to this weekend where there's just nothing. And I have essentially, I do need to take care of some administrative stuff, but it's essentially two days that I can spend however I want to. And I've been looking a little bit ahead towards kind of what's coming up on my project list over the next few weeks. And we touched personal on this. Or so, personal or yeah, personal? Yeah, personal. So we touched on this oh. a little bit, but like, there's still the question of like personal laptop that needs to be answered yeah. and oh yeah yeah right, right, um, right yeah maybe let's get into this later but there's an interesting preparation that i'm working on and then i also finally decided to try to organize my all my files and all my digital assets a little bit better and that's something that i want to spend some time on during maybe the christmas break i noticed that i have stuff spread over a gazillion different devices and folders and systems like some files are in iCloud some files are in Dropbox some files are in Google Drive some files are on a file server I have here in my home that is not a bad idea because I have the exact same thing and I personally like with all the discussion that's going on around the power of like big Silicon Valley companies right now and what that might mean for us as a society or democracy I'm like really intrigued to just take a lot of stuff out of clouds again and just have them at home, essentially. Yeah. And I'm already owning like a small Synology network attached storage server. And those things are just beasts. It's such a nice device. So I'm seriously considering upgrading that to, yeah, essentially bump up the storage space, bump up the... Uh, capabilities of the server itself like uh, namely i want to be able to run docker containers on it for what purpose so this gets us to the next thing that i started and which is a little bit my weekend project is setting up um, or upgrading my home network so instead of relying on the router provided by my telecom provider i actually bought a new router and i bought a new wi-fi access point why so it started with the wi-fi no so the router provided by the telecom company doesn't have great wi-fi if i enable the wi-fi i essentially don't have wi-fi in my upper floor in my house oh i see you mean the range yeah so i already run a second access point next to it but then because they're in like so it is a little bit messy uh essentially it's another router and then they are technically in like two different networks so when you're in one Wi-Fi, you can't really access certain services in my home network. And it's just, it's a mess and has been and super annoying for like um, a few years now. So I mm-hmm. finally said, hey, fuck it. I'll just spend some money, buy some nice equipment and clean this up. 
And that's the first step to get kind of my home network in order to then be able to also run more services in my home myself. Ah, okay. And oh, where no, we come to the Docker part is that the router comes or like the all the equipment from this manufacturer comes with um, or is, let's say, cloud managed. So you can run a service in your network that you can essentially use to configure all the devices in, in your network. So... What's cool about this is that you can declare, for example, that you want to have this uh, Wi-Fi network in your house and you want to have this guest network in your house and you do this once in the in this controller and then the controller makes sure that this configuration is actually pushed to all your devices in your network and you don't have to configure like every single access point or switch or firewall or like whatever it is individually, but you have one interface, one place where you declare all of this. And then it's spread out across all the devices in your home network, which yeah. for like the setup that I have now doesn't matter as much. But if I were, for example, to add a second Wi-Fi access point, it's pretty cool mm -hmm. because you can just plug it in, add it to the controller, and it will automatically kind of auto-configure the new access point to match what your home network is already doing. Mm, I see. That's nice. Yeah. And I'm really, yeah, I, really looking forward to this because the network here, like the Wi-Fi in my house is pretty terrible. It's really okay, annoying. Like in my bedroom, which is like the furthest away from the router, you essentially don't have good Wi-Fi. Like it's it's okay-ish, but it's not great. That sucks. Okay, gotcha. So, no, definitely. I would totally sort that out as well if I was you. Yeah, and then I thought, hey, That's let's annoying. get the network. Let's spend like one or two weekends setting up the network. And then maybe for Christmas, I will buy myself a new Synology server and then try to find a good way to just deal with all my files and put them on the Synology server and yeah migrate 700 different document folders onto like in one into one place so that I can actually find the stuff that I need and that is important because right now that's a little bit of a pain in the ass yeah, that's not a bad idea. Once you told me about those servers, I was I need one. Yeah. I need one. So I'm can, totally gonna get one as well. Because right now the them. Yeah, the only thing that I have right now where I keep my files or what I've been using for years is one single external hard drive that I have that I've just been plugging in on all the computers that I've ever yeah. owned for about seven years. And I just plug them in just start storing things in there but you don't do that all i don't do it often at yeah. least for example right now i haven't touched this since uh the previously company-owned laptop that we had i i plugged in for some of personal files put yeah. them in there and then so i have on this other one which is also a company-owned one i have personal files as well that you just do you know and i if i ever you know switch jobs or whatever then i would again revisit yeah. so but I, I have a lot of things in there but i also have things spread out on google drive dropbox so i have to i have to sort of, it would be really great if i could sort all that out into something centralized that i can easily get access to and store and retrieve yeah exactly that has been my main motivation for this and like we had an interesting discussion with a few colleagues around like the motivation for this, whether or not it's not okay to just dump everything into Dropbox or Google Drive or yeah even iCloud, and just use cloud services. And I think it's an mm -hmm. interesting 
argument that you can make, like whether or not it's actually necessary to host these things in your own network. But for me, it also feels really nice to know that I'm the only one who can actually access them, that they're not used to train some machine learning models or whatever it is. And I haven't really, like, it's it's a little bit weird. I don't have a really strong argument yet why that matters to me so much, but it feels actually no. feels really good to kind of do something for my own privacy and, um, yeah limit the amount of data that i publish to the web yeah i get that i feel the exact same thing but there is just some stuff that are, is darn it it's just so convenient yeah. to be able to do that kind of stuff so if i want to that's if there's a file that somebody sends me over whatsapp for example yeah. or you know like something like that i download it on my phone then i just upload it on google drive and i have it on my laptop right away as well and that's within here right that that could also be done if you have that your own server yeah. but if if i'm somewhere else that's a little bit harder so that's a little bit the like one of the reasons why i would want to buy like a more capable server it's not just for like the new capabilities and more disk space but because i also want to start with a kind of clean clean slate and actually try to set up all these tools that yeah modern uh, network attached storage service uh, servers provide because you do have the same kind of apps where you can um, sync files to all your devices to your phone uh, i know mm. there's one that automatically syncs all photos that you take from your phone to your server for example like there's already cool. so much uh, capability in these devices that I think that, or that's my hope and my assumption a little bit, that if I were to actually spend the time to set this up once properly, that I could then get rid of a lot of workflows that I currently have that are just based around cloud services. But that there's no like good argument why it has to be that way, that there are enough alternatives with like a Synology or QNAP or ACES, whatever you want to get, that they all provide exactly the same tools. So one argument could be, what if there is a huge lightning and it strikes your house and your all your connections blow out? That is a good argument, but the chance of that happening is, I think, pretty low. And then I would also have to be not in my house when it happens. Otherwise, yeah, I also don't have internet, so I don't mind if I can't access my files. But wouldn't, couldn't your... your um couldn't your server burn? Yeah, so it could be fried. And this is where we then talk about offsite backups. So what I have already configured with my current Synology. What does that mean? So what my current Synology does is that of the important folders, which essentially means all the document folders, like I don't back up any media files, but for mm. the documents that I have, they are, for example, encrypted and then put into... Um, or upload it to a different server on the internet as like an encrypted archive. And it's done, I think, hourly or daily. Okay, And then that's theoretically, cool. you could also... Which, Do you pay for that external service? Yeah, but it's, it's cents per month. I think Amazon... I think it's... I Currently, I put it into Amazon Glacier, which is their long-time or long-term storage server service, which is essentially... It's a little bit like S3, but you pay... Like you pay a little bit to store the files there and then you pay a lot to retrieve them. 
so the whole calculation is that it's pretty nice as a backup because you don't expect it to actually to use it. Mm-hmm. But if I were to, like, if I had to download it, it would cost me, um, let's say, maybe 20, 30 bucks. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, so and that and that 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 still solidifies your argument because it is an encrypted archive. So it's, yeah, exactly. it's like Google does not have access to the content of that. Exactly. That's the only that's thing. Right. So the the risk is always that, especially with like quantum computing being uh, just oh, like two days away, that, they will, yeah, that yeah. the keys that are now used to decrypt this are going to be broken in like 10, 15 years. And then it's in the end, again, public knowledge. But leaving that out of or ignoring that uh, for a moment, it seems pretty safe. What you could also okay. do, and which is something that I'm considering a little bit, is you could theoretically set up another Synology to be a remote backup. So I could, or my parents, for example, I bought them one. Um, I'm thinking of gifting my old one to um, my family. So I could just say, hey, I'll just reserve like a terabyte of storage on that. You can have two, I get one, and I'll just dump my um, backups there rem- uh, from my current setup. Yeah, and then, then okay, I, I was going to say that that's probably uh, an alternative because you still have the same concerns, but, I mean, the risk just mitigates, right? So, yeah, so it's, it's like the chances of both of them getting fried is yeah. even yeah, extremely slim. And so what you can easily do is to encrypt both the backup and then the um, partition where you store it. So my family, for example, if I were to give that, uh, them the box they would never be able to access it essentially but then the only downside of this approach is that if you like if something happens to your box and you need to restore your backup really quickly that sucks because especially like back in germany upload is oftentimes super slow in most of the internet plans that people have mm. so while they might have like a high download rate which is nice so that i can actually push the backup to them they only have a super shitty upload speed and it would take at least days to get the data back to me (laughs) where we're at the point that if my house burns down it might actually be the best solution to drive to germany pick up the disc and drive back (laughs) and that's the benefit of something like glacier for example because there you can more or less pick how fast you want to download the stuff and to be exactly. fair, they make you pay based on the amount of data that you download and the speed with which you download it. So it might make sense to kind of yeah um, spend your download over like multiple days so that you're not going bankrupt. Yeah. But still, uh, you have way more flexibility with like online services for these backups. That's yeah, not a bad idea, man. I think I, no, I, for sure, for sure, I'm getting one of those things. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty nice. I'm um, really looking forward to setting up one again and uh, with the kind of lessons learned, make sure that this time I'm using all the services and it fits into my home network nicely. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. The other thing that I've been working on a little bit, and this gets into like the topic that I know you are super keen to discuss, is that I've started working on an Ansible playbook to provision or configure my i want to use it for both my workstation like my laptop and maybe mm-hmm. i want to set up in a way that i can also use it to provision linux vms okay so that essentially 
I can clone a git repo, install Ansible, run the playbook, and then the playbook installs all the things that are important to me. So it configures, for example, fish shell, sets up my um, terminal nicely. Oh, then it automatically so dude. with brew. I'm so down to to look at that because I would be very interesting. Yeah. So especially with brew, you can use the tabs and um, like tabs and casks to install binary applications as well. So you can, for example, say, hey, on my machine, I want to always have Firefox installed. I want to have whatever tools it is that you want to install. Like you want to have Spotify on there. You can just yes. codify these things and put them in, in your config. And then when you get a new machine, you just run the playbook and it automatically sets all that stuff up for you. I'm so interested in that. How are you going to do that? How do you do that? How do you even go about so, that? So uh, there are like different tools for this. The three or four that people go to are, I think, Ansible, Puppet, Chef, and Salt. And then Ansible is really nice in this case because you can run it um, on the machine itself. You don't need, it doesn't need a server. It's just an executable, essentially. And then you create a lot of YAML files that describe the state that your system should have. And when you run the tool against this configuration, it will go through it and check whether or not all of these conditions are met. And if they aren't, uh, make the necessary changes to your system so that it essentially confirms or yeah, confirms to your definition. And it's a little bit of work to set that up, to be honest, like especially so my motivation to take a step back, my motivation was that, especially now working on Windows, I try to configure the WSL, like the Windows subsystem for Linux yeah. shell, to have a similar experience to what I'm used to from, especially the Mac that we work with. So I'm yes. personally a huge fan of the fish shell because it's just the nicest. It's so nice. So, it's so fun. Yeah, exactly. I use that too. So I want to have that installed. I want to have all my custom functions in there that I created. To be fair, for like the a subsystem for Linux, that was, that was the main main pain point. But I noticed that these are things that I'm always um, doing on like every system that I use. I'm setting these things up, and I've experimented with a few different like little bit more like yeah lower effort ways to, for example, get my dot files on the new machines. That my SSH config with all the hosts that I typically connect to is there or um yeah that my ssh keys are distributed like these kind of things i've tried different ways to do this in like a more yeah let's say a little bit more manual way and it always was a pain in the um was a pain so this time i thought hey you've been doing this so much lately let's just see if you can script this and to be fair it has also just been an interesting um learning experience to yeah, try a few of the more like DevOpsy tools. Yeah. And yeah, the reason why I'm now kind of working on this is that, of course, I do still want to get a personal laptop. And Apple uh -huh. very recently released the 16 inch MacBook that. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm crying when I see the price. But then this 13 inch MacBook that I had. A little bit like plan to buy is only like 200 euros cheaper no man go for this new one oh yeah. man as soon as they came out yeah i started looking at all the features 
and then I looked, I I got my eye on that keyboard, uh, dude, and I was like, no way. T, I was like, what does that mean? T-shaped arrow keys. It's just, yeah. I didn't expect to ever see them again, and it makes my no. it warms my heart so much. And they they I don't they, it's insane how much they listened. Yeah. For the first time ever, did you see that the escape key is also yeah. on its own? Yeah. That's unheard of, man. They definitely not only listen to graphic designers and they totally, totally listen to uh, developers as well. It is really interesting that the device actually got thicker. Like that to me was the thing that blew my mind because for years, Apple has always tried to make everything like as thin as possible. And then they actually step back a little bit that I didn't see coming. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but I mean, nobody, nobody's complaining about that yeah. right now. I started seeing, as soon as it came out, I had huge speculations because, the, let's be honest, like the company has just been a letdown after letdown yeah. for the last like three years, four years, especially with laptops, especially with laptops. I most certainly was not going to spend the app, no money on their previous laptops that they've had on like 17, 2018, yeah. uh, 2019. So I, I started seeing it and I had uh, I even saw videos about comparisons of how it sounds. And I don't know how they ever thought that this the butterfly uh, keyboard or whatever is was, was a good idea. It's so loud compared to the other one. So I have a theory around this that I am completely unable to prove or anything. The biggest problem that I have with the butterfly keys is that I feel that they don't give me any feedback when I actually press the button. That's the weird thing, though. It doesn't feel like you get feedback, yet it's so it's like a weird loud sound. But, so the well. loud sound, and I think where a lot of... So it's my theory. It's just my theory. I think where a lot of the... Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the issues came from from like usage and them breaking down and the the reliability issues. And my mm -hmm. theory, just looking at my own experience with the keyboard, is that I don't get good feedback from the keyboard. I'm not used to the feedback that I get from the butterfly keys because it's maybe because it's just so different than what I'm used to. So I'm hammering the keys. Yeah, okay. And it's like a harsh sound. Because, yeah, no, I thought and it's, I knew you were It's not go because that way. the key itself is loud, but because I I'm missing that feedback, I'm using more force than I should, which A makes more noise and it also wears out the mechanic more. That then if mm -hmm. it for example gets dirty or something and I'm just hammering it, it's more likely to break something inside. And I'm not uh, sure if there are not people that they've tested that with which for them, this keyboard has been the best they've ever used because it's like so quiet and like so simple to use and you don't need to use any force to press the buttons. I'm not sure if there's not a different type of user for which or for, yeah, for whom that keyboard is exactly the right one. But for mm -hmm. me, using like mechanical keyboards at home, it's just completely wrong because it's just in my brain, it doesn't make any sense. And so I'm not yeah. sure whether or not it's just... Because I, yeah, I've had such strong reactions. I'm just misusing, and like air quotes, misusing the keyboard, and not using it as it was designed by somebody who probably is True. really proud of his creation. Like I, 
<laughs> yeah, I. It's, it's like a question. No, it's like I a theory think. that I have that it's actually like a really good keyboard if you were to use it correctly, but that nobody does. So because nobody's used yeah. to it yet, or yeah. whatever. Okay, maybe they're just ahead that. of their time, and like in ten years we will look back at this and be like, "Who needed travel anyway?" Was, yeah. Okay. Like it's yeah. there was a, there was a, a a there was a theory that they were saying the reason why they were doing these kinds of keywords was to eventually have a whole screen. Yeah. Um, at the bottom, instead of uh, instead of actual physical keys, you would just have another display at the bottom that would display the keyboard yeah. to you, and then 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 there's really no feedback there. You know, it is an interesting idea, and I'm not sure what I think of it. So, if you look at how many people are using iPads, for example, to write messages or emails and stuff like that, mm. you already mm-hmm. have that in a way, and people don't complain that the iPad doesn't give you feedback when typing. So. No. Yeah, not sure how far we're away from that, but yeah, and uh, and especially for more iPad users, uh, you do get used yeah. to it. You also have autocorrect, to be honest, which as a you don't have in your IDE when you write code. You don't have autocorrect in your IDE. Man? No, I don't. Have You're missing out. I autocorrect in my IDE. <laughs> no I'm kidding. No, but that makes a huge difference because then it's fine if you make like spelling mistakes because you can rely on the engine to automatically correct your mistakes. Yeah. Well, if you're not writing, so I have that for example when I'm not writing English on my phone, that sometimes it just messes up the autocorrect, and mm-hmm. I'm so much slower in typing. So, could imagine that also makes a difference here. I don't know how I would feel about having a whole display down. Yeah. There, I think I'll be pretty mad at first, but maybe I'll get used to it. I don't know. I don't and know. I most certainly have not gotten used to this though. No. The. Uh, the butterfly keyboard. I, I, I've been using it for three years now, and I have not gotten used to it. I hate it every yeah. day. So I think the the good news is we do have an alternative now, and I'm so happy that Beautiful. I don't need to go to like Windows or Linux for my workstation. <laughs> the yeah, remaining question so is: buy it now for like Christmas, or wait for a 13 inch model next year? I wouldn't not personally i totally see why somebody would want to you would not do what at fir- i would not i would not wait ah, for okay. the 13 or 14 inch one i would go straight for the 16 inch because i just have i have gotten used to it to be honest and and you know we were, we were pretty used to having two screens two yeah. monitors uh that that's pretty common for us and that's why the 13 worked for me because i i could put my editor on the external monitor and then just do everything else on the 13 inch but i got a 15 inch uh once i joined this company and i just i can't see myself going lower and i don't need an external monitor although they're pretty cool i probably would not mind having one i just don't want to buy one because i don't find it necessary oh no it's but i yeah i know but i don't mind it and i really like it plus the specs on the default yeah uh, 16 inch is 150 billion percent enough for me. It is actually the first one that I'm considering just buying in the store and not ordering custom made. No, exactly. I don't need anything else. It already comes with 16 uh, gigs of RAM. It comes with a perfectly beautiful amount of uh, um, pro- uh, processor. Yeah. It comes with 512 off the bat of... Uh, uh, gigabytes of storage memory which right now i have um 
Let me see. I think I have 250, 256. Yeah. yeah, I have 256 right now. And I um, loaded this thing up with everything. I have Xcode, Android Studio. I have uh, oh, damn, yeah. all browsers. I have a whole bunch of files in here. I have videos, a whole like, billions of pictures. And I have 68 uh gigs available yeah so with 512 i am more than good especially if i'm gonna get that um external uh in-house server yeah i will be definitely good with it so to me that this is the first time that i'm like no i don't modify anything on this laptop i will get it as is the base price is more than enough yeah for me 32 would be amazingly beyond beautiful but i don't i don't i don't see myself no especially like if you add them you're at like 3k and it's yeah that's getting too much for personal use i feel yeah i i use this this one the one i have right now is 16 gigs and i have run uh xcode android studio and like you know servers um at the same time and you do hear the fan going off but it does not I've never seen any degradation of performance or anything whatsoever. No. It handles it more than than good. For me, the two only um, questions that remain are, since I travel a lot, the like smaller size and like every gram that I can save is pretty mm. yeah valuable. That's because I, valuable. essentially, I have to carry a 15-inch MacBook anyway for work, and then if I have another 15-inch MacBook for myself. Um, it's just a lot of MacBooks to carry around. The other question that I don't have a good answer for yet is what keyboard layout to get. Because I checked and everything currently is US. That's that's what you need. But then here, of course, they sell them with the Dutch one. So am I going to custom order a MacBook with like a yeah, US keyboard layout mm. just to have everything the same or... Yeah, yeah, totally. To be fair, I think I'm, yeah, I think I will do that because it would drive me mad to use US keyboards. I have four US keyboards that I use regularly and then have one that is Dutch. That would just... It's going to mess you up with the symbols and everything. I remember when I got uh, the company one over there in, in the Netherlands. There was one that messed me up. There's something different about... Yeah. Um, like the symbols on the right side of the keyboard that is totally different. Yeah, you have the the enter key is um, vertically and oh, yeah, horizontally. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's for it's because they put something else. So in there, the right? backslash move yeah, down and then the enter key goes up. Exactly. Okay, now yeah. I remember. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And I just kept hitting the wrong key and it was really annoying for a long time. I did that. Yeah. So it's just better to get a US. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's I think a little bit the plan. Is kind of get the home network in in place, write a nice Ansible workbook, or at least part of it to provision the new MacBook, and then eventually buy a new MacBook, buy a new home server, and get all of that set up nicely so that I maybe for once in my life actually know where my documents are, have them when I need to, and it's not a giant mess over. Um, a bunch of different services and hard drives that's kind of my yeah. hope that i can spend some time over christmas um to set this up and 
get some sanity back. I want that laptop so bad, though. But I will also wait. But I will not wait uh, for the purpose of seeing if they bring a 14-inch MacBook next year. But just because of wedding. Yeah. Um, To be (laughs) fair, like, part of me just wants to see if there are any, like, nice Black Friday sales. Mm. Which... There probably won't be. There never is for Apple, to be honest. But I think they did it once, actually. Never mind. I think they did it once. Yeah, and to be fair, like... Yeah. Like, any euro counts here, so... Yeah. Um, I'm not that much into a rush, so let's waiting two more weeks is is perfectly fine. And then it's also December, which means, um, yeah, we got salary at the end of the month, which hopefully helps a little bit with not crying over the price tag that the MacBook has. No, that's true. I'm just gonna wait uh, till next year, but I will for sure get it. I think at probably tops February. Yeah. If nothing else comes up, and if it if it does, I would consider the 14 inch. If it comes out with like a 14 inch or an upgraded 13 inch with the same keyboard yeah. and stuff, I will see what this what bringing the same specs to that laptop would cost me. And if it's not too far off, I'll just get the 16 inch. No, I'd probably. But won't, if it's like to a significant honest. 500, yeah, I probably won't. Yeah. So yeah, I have a. Um, I looked at the 13 inch with like 16 gigs of RAM, 512 gigabyte of hard disk space, and it's it's I think 200 euros um, cheaper. And no, it's, that's not yeah. worth it to me. And it's a, it, I think it's even a lower processor, right? Um, yeah, it only has a four core, not a six core. E, yeah, exactly. So it's not. not yeah, not worth that's it. a good point. Yeah. So. Curious how that will end. I can't wait. I can't wait. Lord. I've been Yeah. No, what? sorry, while we're talking about the end of the year, we briefly looked at our calendars and noticed that it will actually be rather soon that we reach the end of the year. So soon. What does that mean in terms of our regular recordings? Man, I have well, I'm pretty sure you too, but I have way too many things going on in December. Just, you know, I the second week of December is when I have the wedding, I have my wedding, and then it's the honeymoon, and then it's Christmas, and then, you know. Yeah. So, I think, you know, I'm not sure how it's looking for you, but realistically, I think one or two more episodes this year would be just top-notch yeah. and realistic yeah exactly i think if all goes to plan we can record uh, next week and a week after and then from there on i think it's just christmas um like for you wedding and then christmas and then for me just christmas yeah. and then it's probably be the next one be in the, is going to be in a new year and oh exciting yeah new year's resolution. Ex- yeah maybe but I would definitely be interested to then have also a little bit of like a retrospective um, for us on like the podcast, how it's going and what we want to do for a new year as well. If there are some formats we want to experiment or um, just looking back and what then will probably be the first like eight to nine episodes. I think that might be quite interesting. Yeah, I think so too. I didn't know if we were going to make it this far. I for sure wanted to, but I knowing me inside projects yeah and to be fair like the biggest challenge so far has really been the scheduling issues and the time difference yeah true i think that is something that we both underestimated a little bit 
Yeah, it really is. It's so hard to coordinate because it's not just jobs and busyness, but it's also time. Yeah, exactly. Like it would be fine if uh, we were on the same time zone. There would be much more, yeah, opportunity to record. But so it actually doable. requires more, more work and more setup. Mm-hmm. But hey, um, yeah, let's discuss this in the in the new year, and let's see that we let's get uh, one or two more recorded until then. Yeah, two will be awesome. Cool. Because this is the seventh one, so that would be the ninth. Yeah. And then you would start off the next year with Yeah, that would be a pretty nice number. Yeah. Cool. Then I would say we wrap it here. Yes, let's do it. Nice talking. Yeah, you, man. same. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Peace.